Hi everyone, this is Brant Van Rokel, lead pastor of Christ City Kitsilano, and I want to let you know about a couple of things. First, if you're not a part of a local church, let me invite you to join us at Fifth Avenue Cinema on Burrard Street at 9.30 a.m. We meet every Sunday morning for worship, word, and sacrament, and we'd love for you to join us there. Second, if you are new and you want to get connected, let me say welcome. Christ City Church Kitsilano is a neighborhood church committed to making missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. If you want to hear more about what God has called us to here in Kitsilano, then please reach out to me at brant at christcitychurch.ca or you can visit christcitychurch.ca slash Kitsilano. The scripture reading today is taken from Acts 2 verses 42 to 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. And would you bow your head in prayer together with me as we come to learn from the word of God. Father, we come to you as your beloved children in Jesus Christ. We come as those wanting to learn and grow and hear from your word about how we might be more faithful as a local neighborhood church. God, we want to come here to, to learn maybe about what your church is and what this whole thing is about. And Lord, regardless of whether we are new or whether we've been here for a long time, I just pray that you would bless us through this scripture. Would you help us through this scripture? Would you inspire us through this scripture? Would you grow us to imitate Jesus Christ and his love that you poured out for us through him through this scripture? God, would you cause many more people to come to know Jesus as we obey the scripture? We ask this in his name and for your eternal glory. Amen. Well, we are this morning in our second sermon series, in our launch series. And we do this every September when we come into the beginning of our ministry year. It's kind of a new start in life for us in general. Uh, kids back to school, maybe work rhythms returning to normal, but also in the life of the church, uh, of Christ City Church. Um, and what we've covered in this series uh, last week, what we're focusing on is really the one thing that is at the center of everything that we do as a church. And that one thing, if you didn't know, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news of how God has rescued and saved us and given us life, forgiven our sins, reconciled us to God through Jesus. And last week in the first part of this sermon series, we just looked at the goodness of that message and maybe remembered a few of the awesome ways that, that God has worked powerfully through Jesus to save us as individuals. But this week, we're turning our attention not from our experience of the gospel as individuals, but our experience of the gospel collectively, our experience of the gospel as a community in the way that God uses this gospel to bind us together as a new people as a church, the church of Jesus Christ. And this is a remarkable thing that God has done to display his glory and power for all the world 
to see. And friends, I want to tell you this morning that what God is doing to make a church, to take people and unite them in Jesus, in his church, it's more wonderful and more glorious than any of us, myself included, have yet come to realize. It's big. It's beautiful. It's awesome. And to set the trajectory for this sermon on the right foot, what I want you to do now is just remember maybe a time in your life when you've experienced awe and wonder at something. Maybe it was a time in your life when you were hiking up in some mountain range or some valley and this vista opened up before you and you were just in awe. It was just so glorious. Or maybe it was the birth of a child, maybe yours, maybe someone else's, and you happened to be there and, and you just marveled <laughs> at life taking its first breaths. This beautiful moment of a human soul coming into existence, just filled with wonder. Or maybe it was the experience of, of falling in love and, and seeing the beauty of another human soul created in God's image in this incredible and captivating way. And you are in awe. And what I want to tell you is going to sound crazy, but it's true. And the Bible teaches it. None of these things compares to the wonder and the glory and the awe of what God is doing through Jesus Christ to build his church. Nothing compares to what he's doing in his church. Isn't that amazing? It sounds crazy. It sounds wild. How could that possibly be true? But it is true. In fact, the apostle Paul, as he was writing about this, the church in Ephesus, this place in, in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 to 10, he talked this way. He said, God's wisdom is so preeminently on display in his church that even the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly Areas, the heavenly arena, the spiritual realities of this world, they stand in awe and marvel at God's wisdom. You can say that a different way. You could say angels stand in wonder and even the demons tremble because of what God is doing through his church. There's glory here for us to see. I want to show you that glory. I want to show you how awesome this work of Jesus is as we look at the passage that was read for us a moment ago in Acts 2, 42 to 47. This is a really significant and a special passage of scripture for us. It's special for us because it's this beautiful time where we see the church of Jesus in her infancy. She's brand new. She's got this purity of devotion and love for Jesus. And there's a lot that we can learn from what we see in this passage that actually speaks to us and inspires us and puts us on the right trajectory in our own Christian lives. And if you're someone who knows the Bible, maybe knows some of these passages pretty well, I want to say there's good reason for us to imitate this because the rest of the New Testament commands the things that we see in this passage. And that's more than enough good reason to use it as a model for ourselves. So we're going to have two points this morning looking at Acts 2, 42 to 47, and they are these. First, we'll look at the first, we'll look at the four things the infant church was devoted to. So our point will just be devotion, the four things the church was devoted to. And second, we'll see how God put his glory on display to the watching world through their devotion. So devotion, point one, glory on display, or just glory in that second point. So we'll start, first point, devotion. And in case you didn't know, to be devoted 
to something is to persevere at something. It's to have endurance for something, to continue in something. You guys have lots of examples of this in your life. And maybe you have some examples of spectacular fails of a lack of devotion in your life because you've learned that devotion's pretty hard. <laughs> Consistency and endurance is difficult. And the first thing that I want us to see in this text is actually the place where the church's devotion came from. Because that's very important for us to know. We could, we could preach this passage all wrong and just be like, try harder, do better, be devoted to four things. But I think we'd miss it. We have to remember last week and we have to remember the passage that came before this one. Because immediately before we see these four things the church was devoted to, the apostle Peter had just preached a sermon. He just preached the good news about Jesus to a whole bunch of people who didn't know it. He didn't understand anything about Jesus' death or his resurrection, his ascension to heaven, the way that he poured out his Holy Spirit and began the church. And as they heard this sermon, we read in the immediate verses before this, they received it. They were convicted of their sin. They repented before a holy and omnipotent God and they received his forgiveness and his love. They were reconciled to him and they had life. This is a church that had all just become Christians. Can you imagine that? Like, think back to last week and the, the joy of watching a couple of new Christians and the testimonies that we, we saw. And there's joy in these moments when we celebrate it. What an awesome time when someone first becomes a Christian. Imagine a church full of 3,000 new Christians just rejoicing in the love and the grace and the mercy of God to them through Jesus Christ, the Messiah. It was in response to that saving goodness, the mercy of God through Jesus that they devoted themselves. Only in response to his love for them that they then did things in their lives. And that's really important for us to remember. You need to know that because it's tempting to try to fuel our Christian devotion, our Christian disciplines, merely from duty or obligation. And it's true, we actually are commanded to obey the God of the Bible. So there is some duty and obligation that's there. But the fuel for our devotion, the fuel for our endurance must always be delighting in the love of God for us through Jesus. So let me encourage you as you strive and even as we try to imitate the things we see here to dig down in your life to remember the goodness and the kindness of God for you daily in the gospel. To rest in it, to trust it, and to let that be your fuel. All right, all that said, let's look then at verse 42 and see these four things that they were devoted to. Verse 42 says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. I'm going to look at each of these in turn. First, noticing the way they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, listening to the apostles teach and instruct them. And when you read the book of Acts and you, you read the stories that are there, what you see is that the apostles' teaching was really interesting because it was simply unpacking the first half of the Bible, the Jewish Old Testament, 
and explaining the beauty and the wonder and the goodness of God's commandments and also of what God had promised to do through Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the one who would come as the Savior that we needed. And they instructed about how this is the one who is your Savior. This is who he is. Here's how we can obey him. And what you need to know, Christ City, is that we stand here today in a very long line and history of apostolic teaching. Because what the apostles taught back then, they also wrote down in letters. We have them in the second half in our, of our Bible, in the New Testament, where they sent these letters out to other churches, giving them instruction and teaching them. Much of that teaching, building on and just coming from, again, that first half of the Bible. And the record of these teachings has been preserved in our Bibles. And it forms the teaching of faithful Christian churches today, just like it was doing in this passage that we're reading about back then. So we also are in a long line of apostolic teaching. And to be clear, in case somebody is wondering about this, it's often said that the Bible has been passed down to us today, kind of like the game of telephone works. You guys know how the game of telephone works? Right? The message goes from ear to ear to ear and it changes quite substantially from beginning to end. That's not true when it comes to the Bible. And you need to know that to be confident that the words on the page that you have are this accurate reflection and um, transmission of the apostolic teaching to us today. We have documents from the first century of when these letters were originally written. We have things preserved. You can go and see in museums that line up with the translations that you have in your Bibles today. This is an accurate book that you are reading. And to be clear, the early church devoted themselves to this teaching, the teaching of the apostles to them from the Bible. And they accepted that teaching they believed that teaching and they changed their lives accordingly to line up with that teaching as they heard from God's word. It actually reminds me of 1 Thessalonians 2.13. There's a remarkable passage there where Paul writes this. He says, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. Not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Isn't that beautiful? Recognizing it's not the apostles' words that were so significant. It was the way that those words accurately conveyed the word of God to the church. And they received that. And that's instructive for us today too, because it reminds us that if we are to be a church built on the gospel of Jesus, we too must be devoted to the apostolic teaching that's contained for us in our Bibles. This is going to be a Bible church. If you're new here and you don't know what Christ City Church is like, it's a Bible church. We're devoted to the teaching of God's words. And actually, as leaders, we're devoted to that teaching. You need to know that about us. The elders here are committed to teaching from the Bible. We'll do that in a number of different ways. We will do that through long preaching series that have gone on for years through a single book. Uh, we will do that through um, sometimes topical series that are just addressing something we need to talk about with you as a congregation, but that those teachings are derived from the scripture. Sometimes it will be from shorter sections of the Bible, but always from the Bible. You can know that 
about us and our commitment as leaders at Christ City Church. We are devoted to the apostolic teaching. And you must be devoted to the apostolic teaching as well. You have a job here. You actually have two jobs. Your first job is to make sure that your leaders are held accountable to the word of God. So that means that if I stop teaching the Bible or teach things persistently that are false to the Bible, your job is to make a big stink about it and get me fired. That's your job. So I'm out of here so the elders know they can replace me and put someone else in here who will be more faithful. Or if Jonathan, uh, the other elder here at Christ City Church, preaches wrong, you can talk to me about that and we will start to work through these things. We are held accountable to the word of God as your leaders. Second, you have another job. You must respect the leadership that God's put over you. Just like the early church did. Where our words reflect accurately the Bible, you will be blessed as you obey them. As you listen to the teaching, as you listen to the rebukes and the exhortations and the shepherding from God's word. Again, not because of our words. Our words aren't inspiring at all. (laughs) But as God works through us in accordance with his scripture, you are blessed if you obey Hebrews 13, Hebrews 13, 7 says it this way. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls, but not as just rogue people who are on the top of the pyramid. It says as those who will have to give an account to God, right? We're held accountable as well to the word. This church, then they were devoted to the apostolic teaching. That's the first thing, such a remarkable thing to mention, especially at a time when all these miracles are happening. Devotion to teaching. They received the gospel, devoted themselves to teaching, but second, look at verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the fellowship. Now, I don't know what you say when you invite some friends to go out on a Friday evening, but I suspect you don't say, hey, want to grab some fellowship? It's kind of a weird word. It's a very Christian word, isn't it? It's not one you find outside of Christian circles so often to refer to relationships. So what's it mean? Well, the Greek word for fellowship is koinonia, an interesting factoid. The Greek language the Bible, the New Testament was written in, it was, was koine Greek. Because koinonia means common, what's held in common. And the language at the time that was spoken and the Bible was written in was the common Greek, the the lingua franca, the, the language that was spoken throughout the Roman Empire. It was the common language. But what's significant about Christian relationships is that we have something in common in particular. Our commonality is that we share a love for Jesus. Our commonality is that we share the experience of being loved by Jesus. It's our love for Jesus and our being loved by Jesus that is the one thing that all of our relationships in the Christian church are formed around. And it's good news for us because when Jesus' love is the glue that holds our relationships together, the the community that creates is strong and enduring and beautiful and good. Christian fellowship, it transcends any other bond of friendship. Nothing can compare with it. Nothing can compare with it. It outlasts common bonds of sports, right? When your team's winning, it's great. Close friends around you, maybe when they're not doing so hot, your friendships start to peter out. Or when the team falls, then what are you going to do? Find another team, I guess. It outlasts shared interests. 
It outlasts and binds people through something richer than similarities and personalities. That can get old. You can still offend one another. That can still break and die. It even outlasts human marriage. See, no relationship built on a shared sport or culture or country of origin or political viewpoint or shared interest or family tie is nearly as powerful as Christian fellowship built on the love of Jesus. Nothing compares with it. See, this fellowship doesn't create community between just two people, right? That's a lot of our friendships. Common interest, two people together. Sometimes three. Occasionally larger groups. Maybe it's a team, all right? But this community in Jesus is bigger than all of those things. It creates community between radically different people, united in their love for Jesus. So I want to do something. I want you to stop listening to me just for a second and look around the room. Notice how different the people in the room are from you. You've had conversations with some of these people. Maybe you've come to realize how different you are. There's some similarities, of course. We're, we're here in a common place, so that has some similarities virtue, by virtue of the fact of where we live and maybe what drew us to Vancouver in the first place. But there's some massive differences that you can observe in this room as well. Differences in age, differences in culture, in ethnicity, in preference, in personality, in political viewpoint, in socioeconomic status, in your ability as a human being, in your health, in so many more things. And let me tell you something. We really shouldn't be friends. We're just too different. Like, why, why are we together in this room? We, we shouldn't be friends. There's too many obstacles to us normally and naturally being friends. And yet here we are. And how often have I heard from you the surprise and awe in your own voice as you said, Brand, I started hanging out with him and all we had in common was Jesus. And it was a bit awkward. But now they're one of my closest friends. I'm not making that up. I've heard that so many times in this church because the love of Jesus is this glue, this bond that creates fellowship, relationship that is beautiful. Fellowship fueled by a shared love for Jesus is the most powerful bond of friendship that exists. And this early church was devoted to it, devoted to fellowship, devoted to growing in relationship built around Jesus. Christ City Church, we are too. It's a church that we want to grow in and be devoted to Christian fellowship. And one of the best ways that we grow in fellowship here is by joining a community group. We have these just, that's nothing super biblical about a community group. It's just a tool that we use to try to help us to form a relationship. I want to encourage you to, to join a community group if you've not been part of one or to be super faithful in pressing into a community group if you're not that faithful in being part of one. Because I promise you, though I'm not a prophet, I know from the Bible's teaching that you'll only experience the fullness of the life that Jesus has for you in as much as you are committed, devoted to growing in fellowship with others. So let me encourage you, you can go to the Connect Desk and learn more about our community groups or you can talk to someone who might be wearing a lanyard. I'm not sure if they all are this morning or not, who's a community group leader. Or you can email myself or alvin at christchurch.ca. We'd love to connect you. And another way we can grow in Christian fellowship, because there are many other ways, 
is simply by being intentional in our conversations with one another. You know, it's really easy to default to um, small talk or to conversational patterns and pathways that we just kind of fall into. I do this all the time. It's, you know, and, and, and it's not really authentic. It doesn't really get into the intimacy of deep Christian fellowship. But I want to encourage you to have the courage to break that pattern. I want to give you a couple of, again, not especially biblical, just maybe helpful tools to do that. Try asking questions of other people that are intentional. When you're with them, ask questions like, hey, what have you been reading in the Bible lately? What has it meant to you? Or ask questions as simple as, hey, how can I be praying for you? Or what's one thing that you're thankful to the Lord for today or maybe from this last week that that I can rejoice in? That sounds a bit formal and awkward, but you know, you get the point. What are you thankful for? What are you thankful to God for? Or what's caused you to worship God lately? Just have your heart full of love and praise for him. What, what, what is that, that thing? I want to talk with you about it and hear it from you. There's just a few things that can help as we are devoted to fellowship. See, this newborn church, it was devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and third, to the breaking of bread. And the breaking of bread was simply shared meals of thanksgiving and celebration together of God's mercy and kindness. Right? They came together, they, they shared a meal, and they just gave thanks to God. They rejoiced in, in his goodness. In other words, they practiced Christian hospitality. They had people over and, and they rejoiced in what God was doing. And likewise, here at Christ City, we are devoted to hospitality, and we can grow in our devotion to hospitality. See, it isn't something that has to always be complicated. I know it's intimidating to have people over to a small apartment It's intimidating to have people over in general, maybe because our place isn't clean enough. We don't know what to serve. But this doesn't have to be extravagant. This can be as simple as grabbing a meal with someone after work one day. You know, going out. It can be having someone over and not worrying too much that it's a bit messy and that the kids are chaos. That's okay. That's all right. We can do this. Set simple and achievable goals, but I want to encourage you to make a plan to have someone over to practice hospitality. And lastly, this newborn church devoted themselves to the prayers. Verse 42 again says this, and they devoted themselves to the prayers. What prayers? Well, if you read the book of Acts carefully, if you read the New Testament, you see there's all kinds of prayers and all kinds of ways for all kinds of things. But a few of them are these. In Acts, they prayed prayers of thanksgiving to God for all his kindness and mercy to them. They gave thanks. Thank you, God, for all that you've done for us in Jesus. They prayed prayers for one another in their need. They asked for help. They asked for healing. They called on God to meet them in their moments of difficulty and of trial. They prayed for boldness and for God to work powerfully and miraculously in his church. They prayed that the church would go out on mission, that God would save many around them and bring them to faith in Jesus Christ. And they simply worshiped and praised God for his salvation, which is too a kind of prayer. And likewise in this church, We are and must be devoted to prayer. See, we are a church of people, and this is remarkable. This is astounding. A church of people that talk to God. And more astounding than that, a church of people who God listens to when we talk to him. I mentioned it last week, and I'll say it again. We don't yet realize the blessing and the beauty of prayer. We all undervalue it, but this is incredible. 
And in fact, Jesus promises that only as we pray and abide richly in relationship with him will we even do anything of value as a church at all. In John 15 verse 5, Jesus says, Whoever abides in me and I in him, abiding in him through talking to him, through reading his word, through obedience to his word, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Prayer is important. So I'm going to help you. This morning, if you're someone that's not really sure how to pray, I want to encourage you. Just talk to God like a normal person. You hear probably prayers of people that sound formal, probably many of them here. You don't have to pray like that. So don't worry about it. What God wants is just you to talk to him like a normal person, to share your heart with him. And as you begin to devote yourself to prayer, I want to encourage you, you can start by praying at different times and irregular rhythms in your life. There's things that we can do and we can all grow in. You can pray in the morning as you begin your day. I encourage you all to do that. Just to wake up, open your eyes and say a prayer. Simple, short. Thank you, God, for this day. God, would you help me today? Would you help me to listen to you, to obey your word, to be open to the leading of your Holy Spirit? Amen. Pray before meals and not just because it's a Christian thing to do and not some formal prayer that you just get stuck in your brain and say over and over and over the same way. Pray by stopping this meal in front of me and remembering, God, you sustain my life. You gave me life in Jesus. Thank you for this food. Thank you for this day. I love you. Help me to follow you. Something just super simple, just intentional, short. Pray at the end of the day. Talk to God about how the day went. Say, Lord, confess my failures to you. Take refuge in your gospel. Thank you for forgiving me. Help me again tomorrow to follow you and to obey you. Pray for others. That ask that that they would grow in their obedience and following Jesus. Pray for other churches that God would use them to shine the glory of who Jesus is outward into this world to save so many more people. Pray as the Apostle Paul commands the church in Ephesians 6, 18. Pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Pray. Anyway is a good way to start. And I want to encourage you. See, these are the four things that the infant church of Jesus was devoted to. To the teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. But we might wonder, how did God use that devotion? What did he do with it? Well, I want you to turn with me now to our second point, Glory. Because God used the devotion of this church to these things to glorify himself mightily through them. And to be glorified is another churchy word. Another word that we maybe say and we don't know what it means. What glory or to be glorified is, is to be seen as wonderful, as good, as beautiful. And God showed himself wonderful and good and beautiful through this church to their, through the devotion in these things. And though we don't see the word glory in this passage, we can know this is happening because of the response of the people who watched what was going on in the church. So look at that uh, with me in a couple of verses. I'm going to show you some examples. In verse 43, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, he says, everyone stood in awe and God caused many signs and wonders to be done by the apostles. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done to the apostles. God's glorified in his church. He's seen acting in these mighty ways and people see it and take notice and and they rejoice in it. 
verses 44 to 45, God's glorified by a very public display of his love working itself out in his people as they generously cared for one another. Again, remember, this is public. People are seeing this and seeing the love of Christ at work in the community through the God that they serve. Look at those verses with me. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They shared everything. That's amazing. Doesn't mean that they were communists and they didn't have personal ownership. It means that they were generous. It means that that what they had, they considered a gift from God for, for them to be used to bless others. They had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Is that remarkable? They didn't have a social net, but they had one another. And they obeyed the spirit of God and, and sold as there was need to care for each other. And people saw it and God was glorified. And in verses 46 to 47, God was glorified by their lives of fellowship and hospitality as they were filled with gladness and thanksgiving and praise. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, just, they just lived their lives together. Isn't that beautiful? Day by day, attending the temple, breaking bread in their homes, living their lives day by day. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. You know, being thankful as a Christian, especially when times are difficult, is one of the greatest ways that you can glorify Jesus. doesn't mean that everything's okay. You have to pretend that everything's okay. But just having a glad and generous heart, that's a sign of the Spirit at work in you. It's beautiful way. They're praising God. They're having favor with all the people. So Christ City, God glorified himself through this young church as they devoted themselves to teaching of God's word, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And that's remarkable. Amazing. See, the early church, they didn't have a missions team. They didn't have an evangelistic strategy or staff. They just really loved Jesus, one another, and his word. And simply through loving Jesus, one another, and the word of God, God revealed his glory through them. Other people saw how they were being radically changed. They took notice and many, many people were saved. And as more people became Christians and the church grew, they began to send out missionaries and they planted more and more churches. And as time went on, all the horrors of the ancient world were turned upside down as people repented and fell on their knees before a holy God because of the regular, the regular devotion and ministry of local churches. But friends, this is amazing, but it's not all that surprising. I think you know this. In fact, I'd guess that many of you were exposed to the local church, to God's glory and his love in the local church before you became someone who trusted in God's word, the Bible. It's normal. It says God's Holy Spirit works through his people and that's put on display in this world in a local community. That's what God uses to bring down barriers and to start to open people up to receive the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to trust this God that they see in his people, in his church. And that's not surprising either because that's exactly what Jesus prayed for in John 17, 22 to 23. Let me read it for you. 
He prays to the Father. He says, the glory that you've given me, I have given to them, to the disciples, the beginning of the church, so that they may be one, even as we are one, Father, Son, and Spirit, one God in three persons. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. It's a confusing passage John writes in circles, I think a lot of the time. But what he's just saying is the way that, that he's praying that we would grow in our Christian oneness by being one, being united together as a church in our love for one another so that other people would see it. So other people would glorify God as they see his glory on display in us. Now, I want to just say one thing before we wrap up this morning. It's possible we could hear all of this and think that God is glorified only when things are going well for his church. Right? It's this pretty beautiful time, newborn church. It's all amazing all the time. But the book of Acts in the Bible, it teaches the opposite. Because in chapter 4 in Acts, the church begins to suffer persecution and its leaders are thrown in prison. And in chapter 7, the first martyr, the first Christian follower of Jesus is killed because of their faith in Jesus. And in chapter 12, James, one of the apostles, the original 12 sent out by Jesus to, to begin his church, he's beheaded. And how could God allow all this to happen? How could this possibly be the case? Wouldn't that just crush the church as they face persecution? No. For a reason. No, because God has appointed in this world that his glory in his church would work the same way that Jesus Christ was glorified. And Jesus was glorified. His love was put on display, not in cloudless skies and endless miracles, but on a dark road to a hill to die on a cross for the sins of all of us. So God shows his love for us in that he died for us while we were still sinners. And it's the suffering of Jesus that shows just how beautiful and astounding the glory and the goodness of the God we serve is. That he who is so high and mighty will become so low and weak and die for us who are undeserving. He's glorified through his suffering. And in the same way, the treasure of Jesus' glorious life is at work in his church in good times, but especially in our suffering. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 to 12, these words, but we have this treasure, the treasure of the life and the love and the glory of God. We have this treasure in jars of clay. We're weak to show that the surpassing power the salvation of God through his gospel, that it belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. This is Paul speaking of his experience as a follower of Jesus and his own suffering, but it's also true for us in many different ways. See, Acts 2, 42 to 47 reminds us that God's chief tool for saving people who don't yet, don't yet know Jesus is by displaying his glory through local churches. Churches that have been rooted in the gospel. 
churches that are devoted to the teaching of God, the apostolic teaching through the word, devoted to fellowship, to hospitality, to prayer, and devoted to these things in good times and especially in hard times. And this is why we are at Christ City Church, a church planting church. Because we're committed to the idea that there's no better way of people being saved than local communities beginning in new places in the same way that we are reading about and trying to live out here. See, we don't want to build a super church that's like superstore, right? You just come in from far away, one-stop shop, get what you need, and leave. We want to build neighborhood churches, Churches where we can generously love and care for one another, live in proximity to one another, care for each other so that other people see and glorify the God who is at work in us by his spirit. So if you hunger and thirst for more of God this morning, if you want to be awed by God, if you want to witness his glory, you're in the right place. I want to encourage you, devote yourself to these same Christian practices that we've seen at work for 2,000 years and wait to watch God do remarkable things year after year. We're going to conclude with this right now. Um, Today is a special day, as has been mentioned earlier. Today is, maybe it wasn't mentioned earlier. Today uh, is a day that Christ City Church um, is planting Christ City Surrey. So we are having a church gathering. Yeah, we can cheer. Let's cheer. What we've talked about here, that this, this belief in, in God's glory through his local church, guys, a church is being born right now. And there are um, a ton of people gathering in Surrey, uh, well over 100 people for the special event um, as this church is getting off. And what I want to do is just end, I'm going to lead us in prayer for this church that God would do all the things that we've just been talking about and reading about uh, in them and be richly glorified in this new community. So would you bow your heads and I'll pray. Father, we come to you now and we want to pray for Christ City Church in Surrey. We want to pray that they would be rooted unshakably in the good news of the gospel of Jesus. That they would rejoice in your love for them, the new life they have through him. And Lord, we pray that they would be so devoted together to the teaching of the Bible week in and week out that they would glorify your name. Lord, we pray that they would be so devoted to fellowship, to community, to living Christian lives together that you would be glorified week in and week out. We pray for tables to open up, for hospitality to happen, to hospitality especially to, to strangers and those who um, are, are most distant from the church. They'd be welcomed into this community and they'd begin to taste the love of Jesus through that. We pray for a commitment and a conviction of this church to give themselves to prayer or to talk to you constantly, to share their burdens and their needs, to ask for your help, to pray for the salvation of those who don't yet know you in their own neighborhood. Or would you glorify yourself through this church in mighty ways that we can all celebrate together. In Jesus' name, amen.